We sing hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a round of applause this morning for all that he has done? Man, we welcome you. If, if you're a guest with us, I want to definitely take this opportunity to welcome you. If you're gathering with us online, thank you so much. We count it such a privilege uh, to worship with you on Sundays. And we have officially entered into the Christmas season. You can't deny it. You can't hide from it. It's everywhere. If I see Elf again on TV, it's like it's running nonstop. It's like the Christmas movie back in the day. And so we're in it, and we know that. And I love Christmas. How many people in here just love Christmas? Just love Christmas, right? All right, let's, 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 see, the, uh, let's see the responsible ones in the room so we can admire. And also, how many people, you're done, you're finished, you ain't got no more shopping to do. How many people? We can't stand you guys right there. God bless y'all. That's, that's, some of you, how many of you like Walmart's open on Christmas Eve till 10? Can I get an amen? <laughs> my people, my people. All right, so we're in the season, there's no doubt. But, but here's the danger, right? And I've already caught myself doing it. I'm on 101.3 listening to Christmas music every single day, singing it with Tristan and Amber like I love it. Let me tell you what can happen in this, right? And I've already felt it and admit it as your pastor. We can get so caught up in this and our families and our traditions and the lights and the trees and the blah and just miss it sometimes. And you know what's scary about it is the name is in it. You know, we live in a world where Christmas, Christ is in the name and yet there's many people who celebrate Christmas they don't even know the name of Christ. I mean, this was, I, was, this was, I was at a banquet a week ago and our executive director from the state was speaking. He was talking about a young man that I grew up with that pastors right outside of Richmond. He was talking about an encounter he had with a lady at the grocery store right outside of Richmond. And he was inviting her to the Christmas Eve service. And she looked at him and said, what does Christmas have to do with church? <laughs> Richmond. And I wonder how many times, right, right? I wonder how many times, and we, 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 we live in a community where we celebrate Christmas. And we, how many people just go through it and they don't even know or see what the whole thing's about? So here's the danger for us as believers. For this to just kind of wash over us and us just to go through this month. And it's hard because even as a pastor preaching these passages, this morning, if you got your Bible, go with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. We're taking a little step out of 1 John. If you've been with us, we've been in 1 John. We finished chapter 3. We'll jump back in to 1 John chapter 4 after the new year. But we're going to take a four-week break. And we're going to look at, in these four weeks, the ordinary and the extraordinary. And what I want you to see in these four weeks are people, broken vessels just like you and I. Nothing spectacular about them just like you and I. Very ordinary according to the world. And yet what you find is a consistent theme in scripture that God takes the ordinary, he takes the ones who are yielded. He takes the ones who are willing. He takes the ones who are willing to put their stuff down and say, not mine, but yours. And there's a consistent theme of humility all throughout even the story of the gospel. And so what we're gonna do in these four weeks, we're gonna look at four characters. Today, we're gonna look at the shepherds. And I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna try to, I pray, see this in a new way. See this in the minds and the eyes of the shepherds. Real men that we'll meet one day in heaven. Real men, we don't know their names, but real men that God used to carry out the greatest birth announcement in the history of the world. The next week, we'll look at one of my favorite characters, Joseph. I loved playing Joseph in the play because he doesn't say a word. <laughs> There's no recorded words of Joseph in the Bible. Men, that is a great biblical practical lesson for us. Can I get an Amen. Anyway, there's another sermon on that. So there's Joseph. Next week, we'll look at Mary. Like, we need to look at the biblical account of Mary. We understand that even the doctrine of Mary, like, people have taken that. So we need to understand through the eyes of Mary, a 14, 15-year-old girl. You understand that? 
Like sometimes we think of them in their 20s and they're getting ready to start their lives. No, these are young little teenagers, a Jewish boy and a Jewish girl in scandal. And I want you to see even this morning in the story of, of them going from you know, Judea to, to, to Bethlehem. Of, I want you to even see God's grace in that. And we'll talk about that. But then the next week, obviously our fourth character we'll talk about on Christmas Eve, the wise men, right? No, Jesus, I'm just kidding. Yes, Jesus on Christmas Eve. But this morning, I wanna to talk to you on the character of the shepherds. Take your Bibles, Luke 2, but then I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to go to Philippians. So hold your spot in Luke 2, then go to Philippians 2. And we're gonna actually read a passage here. And then we're gonna look at Luke chapter two, the Christmas story. But I pray you see the ordinary and the extraordinary through the eyes of the shepherds. Take your Bibles, if you wouldn't stand with me in reverence of reading God's word. I want you to hear the words of Paul as he is writing to the church of Philippi, Jesus, our savior, our example. And then he says this, as this morning we reflect upon the God of this universe coming into his creation as a helpless baby. Like just pause for that minute needing a human being to feed him, to change him. The God of this, you know, the one who created, when you look in the skies and we only have the technology to see what's all out there, he created all that. And we're gonna read an account this morning of that one came in a stone feeding trough as a helpless baby. And my prayer through this series, again, captivated and changed, right? That we're not just captivated by this, but it moves from here to here and it changes us. That my God would do this for me. He would come for me. And look at what Paul says is the example of Jesus in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was always in, also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a slave, of a bondservant. Here's the Christmas story, coming in the likeness of men. Why? What's the purpose? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Let me read that next verse, verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Hear this, here's the purpose of Christmas, even the death of the cross. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for what we celebrate, the birth of a savior. We thank you for the promise fulfilled. We thank you that we're on the other side of this, Lord. And so we can sing the songs of hallelujah, the finished work of Christ. We sing those songs, but Lord, as we're in this place, so many things can capture our attention and our minds and our efforts. So Lord, this morning, allow us to just pause and put all the Christmas stuff aside and all the drama and all the stress and the storms that are many who are in it right now. Lord, just lift our eyes to see you this morning in a unique way of how you choose to move and work through your people. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again. We give you praise for the finished work of Christ. It's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen, you may be seated. So usually I talk real slow. So this morning I'm gonna probably talk a little bit faster. <laughs> My mom said to me, you know why? She was like, you know why people go back and watch you through the week? I'm like, why? She was like, because they're trying to figure out what you said. She was like, why don't you just slow down? And so my mom's telling me to slow down. So I might speed up a little bit this morning. We'll see. But I'm telling you, I'm excited for this because the Lord's just been stirring my heart because I was convicted already. I got caught up in this whole thing and how easy it is. You know, we, we say living every day captivated and, and changed, but do we live every day captivated and changed? 
And I pray through this series, I pray through this, that you spend some time in the Christmas story through this month. I pray you go to God's word and you see the story of love, the story of faithfulness. But I pray that you see the people that he chooses to use, that there's nothing glamorous about them, that you'll notice this message of the birth didn't go to the church. It didn't go to the temple. It didn't go to Jerusalem. It didn't go to Athens. It didn't go to Florence. It didn't go to any of those places. It went to a hillside, to a bunch of outcast men, You wanna see the grace of God? Let's talk about shepherds for a moment before we get into this passage. Like we've glamorized them and kind of romanticized them. I played shepherds like in the living nativity. I loved it. I had the staff there, right? I was telling someone before growing up, we would do the live nativity at Kim's So Baptist. That was when Princess Anne Road was in front of the church. Now in some weird way, it's not. But anyway, we would do the living nativity there. And I remember being 15 and they were like, yo, across the street, they have three sheep. Let's go get three sheep and have a real living nativity. And at 15, I'm like, man, I'm an athlete. Like, I will go grab that sheep in two minutes and I will bring him back. That sheep humbled me in a way I've never been humbled before. (laughs) The dude thought it was so funny. He was like, yeah, go ahead. And he kind of just sat back and watched me for like two hours get juked by this sheep, right? (laughs) Let's talk about this for a second. These shepherds were the lowest of lows. Like you got to go back and realize that they, from from a social standing, the only ones lower than shepherds at this time were lepers. These guys weren't allowed to do anything because they were viewed by the Pharisees, by the religious system of constantly breaking the law. They're not keeping a Sabbath. They're watching over the sheep. How can they keep a Sabbath? They're watching over the sacrifices that will be used in the temple, but they themselves can't even come into the temple. They were viewed also as unclean because around dead animals. You can't come unclean into these ceremonies and into these rituals. They were the outcasts. They were considered thieves. They were considered swindlers because why? They were constantly moving from territory to territory. Think about that. They were moving from different property to different property. And so people would come out and be like, get your sheep off my lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like there'd be signs, no sheep on my lawn. I don't know. Anyway, I have pictures in my head. These dudes were the lowest of lows. How amazing that God brought the greatest message in the history of the world to the ones who weren't even allowed to be a part of the religious system. I'm not religious. Praise God you're not religious because it ain't about a religion. It's about a savior. Can I get an amen? He brought this message to men who were considered the outcasts who weren't even allowed to come into the church. They weren't even allowed to be a part of this because of the way they were viewed. They were viewed on the level of prostitutes, basically. Thieves, and these are the men that God chooses to bring this message. And what I pray you see this morning is their response in this. All right, here we go, Christmas story. You ready? Here we go, verse one. Watch this. And by the way, when we're described as sheep, that's not a compliment. Y'all understand that, right? Sheep are like the dumbest animals of all time. Like they can wander off and like be like 20 feet away and completely be lost from the pack. Does it sound familiar? You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're constantly distracted. They're defenseless. They have nothing against an enemy. So think about that when we're described as sheep. We have a shepherd, and this is a beautiful picture of our good shepherd, Jesus. But when we're described as sheep, we're described as helpless, dumb animals. Can I get an amen? We need a shepherd. Can I get an amen? Yeah, put that picture. Yeah, there we are. Just following each other off a cliff. We need a shepherd. Here we go. (laughs) Verse one. Don't let these words just pass over you. This is not a fairy tale. This is a historical event of Christmas. 
Verse one, and it came to pass. Well, what does that mean? And it came to pass in those days. This is a reference back to chapter one, verse five, when he says in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So he's connecting that phrase back to a timetable that you can go back and see. And then he says this, that he passed in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Well, we understand that Caesar Augustus is a title, right? Caesar is like king or emperor. Augustus is like revered like the revered king. And so that's not his name. The name of this dude, he took reign when he was 19 years old, is Gaius Octavius. And he's, and he's, he's revered as one of the greatest emperors of Rome. He was the one ruling at the birth of Christ. And so the Bible says he took the, 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 the reign at 19. He ruled for 59 years. And it was a time of peace, Pax Romana, that, that, that Rome was in control as long as you fell under our authority. And so it was a time of peace, but it was also this time of Rome having authority over the land. How amazing that just like in the Old Testament, when King Cyrus, right, a, a pagan king, a pagan ruler, and still being used by God to usher in the birth of the Savior. I'm getting ahead of myself. Watch this. Galatians 4.4 4 says what? When the fullness of time had come, well, it's come. And here it is, next part of verse one, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. That all the world doesn't mean it's going to Africa and Asia. It is speaking of the reigning territory of Rome. What's the purpose of this? Military and money. The purpose of this is every go, all the Jews were required to go back to their homeland and we'll get there. The Romans were not. But you know, the Jewish, they kept strict records. And so they would have to go back to their birthplace. But what was the purpose of the census military? Number one, to see, like, we've occupied this space. All right, here's some young men that we've conquered. How many of them can we bring into and train in our military? Number two is money, taxation. So how amazing that God would use a sinful heart in his sovereignty to still fulfill his will and usher in the savior of this world. God is over all things that we see. Can I get an amen? We need to be reminded of this. This was a dark time in the history of the world. It had been 400 years since God had given any revelation to his people. Think about these shepherds. And it says they were looking, the consolation of Israel. These guys were actually desiring for that savior to come. And I believe that's why God chose them. Not only in a place of humility, but because they were looking for it. Look at what it says. Where am I at? Verse two. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now hold, there's a verse here that I'm not just gonna jump over. Some will take this and say, well, there's a contradiction here because Quirinius ruled after Herod, 10 years after Herod. And so some will take this passage and you can go through and look at commentaries and say, okay, is the Bible contradicting itself? Let me say something up front. The Bible never contradicts itself. It may on the surface seem something confusion, but confusing, but you can absolutely know that God never contradicts himself through his word. So we know that if you go back in history, there are two explanations. Look at the verse. The census first took place while Quirinius. That word first could also refer to another. And so many believe that there were two that took place during his reign. There's also history that found these coins that spoke of this rule of Quirinius in a second term. So many theologians believe that there were two terms here. And so the Bible's not contradicting itself. There was just another term. Does that make sense? You go do the digging. All right, here we go. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. We know that all the Jewish people had to go back. Here's the prophecy. Watch this. Joseph also went up. Anytime you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. How many people have ever been to Israel? Right, right. Up to up and down, right? That's why the scriptures speak of that. So they go up 
85 miles. So you ladies who have carried a child, we don't know exactly where she was in her pregnancy, but this was probably a week journey. 85, 90 miles from where they are to go back to where they need to register. Watch this, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. And here we go, prophecy, 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 which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread. The bread of life being born in the house of bread, that's pretty cool. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, verse five, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Here's some verses, Micah 5, 2, 750 years before this event. Micah says these words, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And that is even speaking of his second coming. Ruler of Israel, well, we know he didn't die. And like before that, before the ruling, there had to be the cross. And so it's amazing that that prophecy not only speaks 700 years of birth, but it also speaks of when he's coming to rule. All right, here we go. Look at Jeremiah. Here's another one, Jeremiah 23. 600 years, you want to talk about darkness? Israel is entering into captivity. And the prophet Jeremiah, 600 years before the birth of Jesus says these words. Jeremiah 23, five. Behold, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. We serve a God who keeps promises. Y'all understand all this goes back to the garden. All this goes back to Genesis 3.15. All this goes back to when hope was lost. No, hope wasn't lost. In the moment when sin entered into humanity, God could have said, I condemn you. Get out of my presence. I don't want nothing to do with mankind. But instead he showed grace and he showed mercy. And he said, nah, you ain't one. There's gonna be one, capital O, who will come. You'll bruise his heel. He's gonna crush your head. And what we, what we celebrate at Christmas is all of these prophecies that these prophets spoke in times of darkness. In due time, God brought forth his son. Let me tell you something, what this confirms, the sovereignty and timing of God. And I want you to see so too many times in scripture where God does his greatest work is sometimes in the darkest moments. This was a dark time. And in the darkest moments, we just sang it. He brings the light of the world. And I wonder in these shepherds' lives, like what, were, what was going on in their lives? They were real men. I wonder if they were struggling in their marriage up on that hillside. You know, what's going on in their lives? They're real men. They're looking for the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. They are outcasts of society. But there were hearts that were yielded. And I've said this to you before, man. I remember being in seminary and sitting in the back row, just praying they wouldn't call me. You know, have you ever been in that situation? None of y'all gonna admit that, right? In class, where you're like, yeah, let me go define some words before you call me, you know what I'm saying? And I, I would sit back there and I, and I would be like, I remember walking around and, and getting into some circles with some theologians, I'm talking some theo, and they would talk about things. I'm like, bro, I don't even know what you're talking. Like, I need to go define that word before I can engage. And the enemy would mess with me. And the enemy messes with us. And over and over, the enemy says, who are you? You think God can use you? You see what you did yesterday? Do you see what you said last week? Do you understand the struggle that you have right now? And so this is the battle of our lives. And what you see here, there's nothing spectacular. As a matter of fact, they're spectacularly ordinary. But every one of them is a consistent theme, a heart that says, yeah, I don't understand it. And I don't even necessarily see it, but I believe it and trust it and respond to it. 
And that's the journey of faith. If you're here today and you've never professed Christ as your savior, there's your journey. You're at a place where you're hearing a message. Someone died for your sins and rose again, but it's up to you. Nothing is forced upon you. And what you find in scripture is Jesus or the Lord will align these situations, but it's never forced. You find a man or a woman and the Bible gives us both. Ones who choose to go their way and the Bible shows us the ones who say, no, Lord, I'll go your way. And what you find here all goes back to Luke 138. Flip one chapter over and remember the words of Mary. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be. There's the heart cry right there. Let it be, let it be according to your word. This 14 year old Jewish girl has been given this message. You can imagine how confused and scared she was. And yet here are her words. Let it be according to your word. Let me just tell you a practical application of the Christmas story. That's, that's, the, that's the battle. It's first John, that's the battle. And what you find here is that God doesn't choose the ones who are, bring so much to the table. You know why? Because they would receive the glory. The Lord loves taking the low things of the world so that he can raise his name. And I remember sitting in that chapel in a seminary and a preacher saying, it is not about your ability. It is not about your ability. It is not about how much you know. It's not about your charisma. It is not about your personality. It's about your availability. How available are you? I don't care what you bring to the table. How surrendered is your heart? Can you say the words, let it be at seven in the morning and 12 and at two and five and 10? Let it be, Lord. I don't see it. I don't know it. I don't like it, but I trust it. See these real people in the Christmas story that he chose to take this message to the outcast. Verse six, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. I want you to see the grace of God here. God takes her from her community. There's scandal there. There's a virgin that's claiming to be pregnant by the seed of God. I would imagine that there's some people talking about that in their, in their community. You know what I'm saying? People talk, people talk, people talk. And I bet at Starbucks, there were people sitting around going, yo, our Hebrews, right? Hebrews, get it. Anyway. <laughs> That's all I got. See the grace of God. He removed her from that. We don't know when. He removed her from that community, brings her. She didn't have to go to Bethlehem. It was Joseph that had to be registered. She's pregnant, 85, 90 miles, but there's grace in that. She's removed from the scandal of her community. And rest assured, there was a scandal in her community. A pregnant 15-year-old Jewish girl claiming that they've not had relations. There was a scandal in this community. And so even in that, see the grace, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. We know the Bible says she had others, that Jesus had brothers, because it says that they did not receive him initially, James. And it says this, and she brought forth her firstborn son, Wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes were these little linings, right? Like, and they basically would wrap the baby like a mummy. Back then, right, they, they, they really secured the limbs. And so what they would do is like straighten the limbs for like a week. Poor babies. Like I just think about that. Like they were just locked up for a week. But they're in swaddling clothes. And then it says this. Don't miss the details. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. Now, again, manger. When I went to Israel, it gave me a whole different visual. The manger is this wooden stone hole. It's a, it's a stone. It's not this little wooden thing that's got hay and your blanket in there and a little baby. It's not what that is. It is this stone hole that animals would basically eat out of. And so have that visual in your mind that the God of this universe would enter into a place where it smelled like for us. 
Christmas, we can miss it. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Don't miss the humanity of that. Not a spirit, this is a baby, fully God, but fully human. And that speaks of his humanity. Laid him in a manger, it means feed box, manger, feed box, because there was no room for them in the end. We understand this is not talking about a Best Western, you understand that, right? They didn't try to check in at the Holiday Inn and there's no room, no. It's, it's, it's happening in Bethlehem. Everybody's coming to Bethlehem because they're registering. So it's, very, it's more populated than ever it is because everybody who's moved from Bethlehem has come back to Bethlehem to be registered for the census. And so the word that's being used there is the same word used for the upper room. So you can kind of imagine they were looking for a room, a room. And a lot of times they would have these places set up for travelers. But again, God had something else. Don't miss the symbolism of that. That Christ came and there was no room for him. We celebrate Christmas, and right? That's a message, right? He came. We celebrate, we celebrate. I ain't got no room for that. I got other stuff going on in my life. It's the picture. Look what it says in verse 8. Now, they were there in the same country. Here's our characters. Here we go. Shepherds, shepherds living out in the fields, dirty shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. The greatest birth announcement in the history of the world. And he goes to the lowest of lows to present it. I remember when Tristan was born, our first Christmas, we were so excited to do a Christmas card and we were gonna put his picture on there and we didn't really pay attention to the wording of the card. It was one of those cards that you could put a picture or you didn't have to, well, we did. When we got our stack of pictures, the card says, our king is born. And it was a picture of Tristan, right? On <laughs> I'll bring it, I'll prove it. I'll show it next week or the next week. And I said, Amber, we can't send those cards out. That's a little bit presumptuous, a king is born. I, it was referring to Jesus, but it had Tristan's face on it. But anyway, <laughs> James 5.2 says, listen, my beloved, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? 1 Corinthians 1.26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Can I get an Amen to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of this world and the things which are despised by God, God has chosen. Shepherds, things that are despised by God, God has chosen because they love him. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so he takes shepherds who are humble, who are low, to present the greatest message in the history of the world. Don't miss the heart of God in that. He didn't go to the Pharisees and the high thinkers. He went to shepherds. He went to the low of low. He went to the ones, blessed are the, the first message in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit is where it begins. It all begins there. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the ones who see their junk for what they, blessed are the ones, isn't that first John, who see sin and say what sin is, the same that God is, that then points them to the only place where there's hope, the only place where there's restoration, a savior who died for their sins and rose again. That's how this thing works. And so it's amazing to me that in the humility that here is Jesus who created the world, born in a trough, and the message is sent through the outcast, the lowest of looks. Here we go, verse nine. And behold, right? That word means right away, suddenly. An angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. We see this in the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord, right? And every single time it's the same response. 
Every single time the glory of the Lord shows up, what's the natural human response? Oh man, oh yeah, fear. I was gonna display fear, but fear. The first thing the angels say is what? Fear not, that's their first words to us. Cause we are freaked out when an angel shows up. So the first words by the angel, hey, fear not. I don't have a message of destruction and condemnation. I actually have a good message for you. And they come to the shepherds. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the Greek is the same word in the Hebrew that we see in, uh, in Exodus 3 with Moses and his encounter in Mount Sinai. There's some cool stuff here. It's the same word we see with the tabernacle in, a, in, a, in Exodus 40. 500 years, Israel has been without a sign. 500 years, there's been silence. And on a dark hillside, not in the hustle and bustle of religion, in a dark hillside, there were some men looking toward the Savior. And God said, you desire it, I'm coming to you. And he came to shepherds. And they were greatly afraid. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, here it is, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. This good news, right? The spiritual darkness, which had covered the earth for 4,000 years, was about to be rolled away. The way to pardon and peace with God was about to be open to all mankind. How could this not be good news? The head of Satan was about to be bruised. Liberty was about to be proclaimed to the captives, sight to the blind. They are bringing good news, God's people. They are bringing good news. That's where you say amen. That's where you say amen a lot louder than that. Amen. Come on, y'all. Listen, let's be captivated by this. God would choose to do this for us. Again, I believe the incarnation of Christ is the greatest miracle of this Bible. That he would come to this, that he would feel what we feel, that he would know what rejection feels like. He would know what disappointment feels like. He would know when someone let them down, what that feels like. When someone who says they love you and they abandon you, he knows what that feels like. He came for us in this. And he did it without sin. And this message is being carried out in a time of darkness that, hey, the darkness is over, the time has come. God is never early, he's never late. And let me tell you, so many times, it's in the darkest of nights that the light shines through. Hold on, people, hold on to where he has you. Don't abandon it. Don't retreat. Don't miss. 13 years in a pit, Joseph was. What would have happened at 12 if he said, forget this? We wouldn't have the last whole chapter of Genesis. I don't know where he has you, but I want you to see it in the Christmas story. Here's the good news, great joy, joy that's not dependent upon where you are in society or your identity or worth. Your joy is gonna come from the inside because of what God is getting ready to do for you. What is it? Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, and here's the title, and it's only used here in the New Testament, the Savior, but who is Christ the Lord. So he gives us three titles there. Savior Christ, the Lord. What's interesting there is the Lord, Kyrios, has already been used 16 times in chapter one. So now he's making a connection to these shepherds, right? The Lord God Almighty, who is all over these things, is gonna be in this baby. The Lord God Almighty, who is the one who is in control, gonna come as a baby. Not only the Lord, but a savior. And that word means deliverer, saves and preserves. And then Christ, the anointed one the one spoken of in the Old Testament. He gives them three titles right there. This is who this baby, imagine the shepherd's mind. A baby that's the Lord, that's a savior, 
and that's the anointed one of the Old Testament. There's faith involved here. There's three men on a hillside. Yeah, there's angels. They're telling them, but they've now got to decide what they do with the information. Verse 12, he says, this is the sign, not some halo flying, not some glowing light. Here's the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, but here's the catch. You'll find them in a trough. So there's your sign, shepherds, go. Go look for this baby. You might find another baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, but I guarantee you, you're not gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, in a trough, more than one. Go find that one baby. How amazing that it wasn't a palace that he sent them to. How amazing it wasn't a temple that he sent them to. He sent them to a feeding trough to go see the God of this universe. Look at what happens, verse 13. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. So it begins with one. Now it's tens times 10,000, right? Now there's one, now there's a whole multitude praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. 500 year darkness. Imagine this, right? If you go through and you look at scripture and you see when does the angel sing? When does that happen in scripture? There's only three times. It happens before creation or at creation. Job tells us that in chapter 38, you can go look. And it tells us they do it here and they do it in Revelations 5. In Revelation 5, when Jesus grabs the scroll and it is finished, they proclaim a host of angels. And so here we see in the story, the angels saying, hey, now's the time to celebrate because the savior has arrived. The hope All that talk, Jeremiah, Micah, Isaiah, all you guys, the man is here. Can I get an amen? And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Peace, goodwill toward men. And this is where I want to land in these last 10 minutes. Don't miss the response of these shepherds. They had a decision to make. Look at verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, notice that, right to the place where they came, no, in between, they came from heaven back to heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go. Listen, when you encounter the work of God, like there's a decision there. You either go or you don't. And he doesn't force you. And you know what I'm talking about. You feel it. You get to choose. And here are these, these shepherds getting to choose. And they look upon one another and says, we got to respond to this. Let us go. And it says it went, and the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Look at verse 16. And they came with haste. It's the first Christmas rush in the history of the world, right here. I got two this morning. They came with haste. Don't miss that, though. God, you're telling me I'm going. I don't get it. I don't understand. I I haven't connected all the dots. I don't have to. By my faith, I please you. By my faith, I grow in you. And so we're going to go. We're going to go. You've given us enough to go. You've not given us all the details. And how many of us can identify with that? You've not given me all the details, but you've given me enough to respond. And now it's my decision. And look at what happens here. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, it doesn't say anything about their conversation with mom and dad. It ain't about mom and dad. It's about the baby. And when they had seen him, they made him widely known. The same which was told him to them concerning, do you see this process of discipleship? Like here are these men, they've encountered the presence of God. They are obedient in the calling of God. Now they're telling others about it. Sound familiar? It doesn't end there. They made widely known the same which was told concerning them. Don't miss this, verse 18. And all those who heard it marveled. It didn't say they responded. They marveled. It didn't say they went there. 
They marveled, captivated at Christmas. Not changed. It's a great story. What does it mean to me? These shepherds went. They told, watch this. Mary kept them in her heart. I love that in verse 19. Have you ever just been in those quiet moments with the Lord where he's telling you not speak, just be quiet. I struggle with that, to be quite honest with you. But Mary's just sitting there pondering. Just picture the scene, right? Picture the scene. It's gross. It ain't some swept out live nativity with some knucklehead sheep. That's not what's going on here. This is a gross place. It is scandalous. This virgin girl. Shepherds come, and there's Mary, it says, just kind of taking it all in. And then here's the reaction. Look at verse 20. Can this be said of our lives? Can we say like the low standing shepherds? Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they heard and seen. Let me ask, who watched the sheep? Who watched the sheep when they went? Like, I'm wondering, did God just kind of gather them in the corner and say, you, you guys are gonna stay here. They're gonna come back, but y'all stay here. These are things I think about and that's weird. They're praising God, man. They're telling the story and they're praising God. Hear that? Girl, let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you and then let me go home and praise him for it. Do you hear it? Joy, goodwill, peace. Let me tell you what God's done. Hey, come to church. Let me tell you. I'm not who I used to be. God has saved me. He's redeemed me. And then as you walk away, you're praising. You're glorifying. That's what these shepherds were doing. And they went back. It didn't say he took them to the temple, raised them up in the palace. They went back to their profession, praising God, where he called them to serve. And this beautiful picture of a shepherd and sheep this image of God who would leave the 99 and come to the one. Don't miss this picture of not only these shepherds, but the shepherd, our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That picture of a shepherd carrying the sheep, can you identify with that? Shepherd who picks up a wounded sheep and puts him on his shoulders and says, man, I got you. We're gonna tend to that wound. We're gonna address it. We're gonna mend it, we're gonna heal it. I'm with you. I've got a rod and a staff, and if something comes, I'm gonna bust their head, you know what I'm saying? I'm with you. What a picture. What a picture of knowing these shepherds of us, though, each day walking with the Good Shepherd. I'm gonna invite you to stand right where you are, if you would. May we see Christmas, I pray, in a unique way as we go through this season. May we see these characters as real people. May we see these characters dealing with the same things that we deal with. May we see these characters in the conflict of life, of making decisions each day, right? right. Me or him? But Lord, I'm gonna submit. I don't understand what a baby in a trough. Okay, I'm going. I got enough to go. And as I'm going, man, you're changing me and I'm telling other people about it and I'm praising you. And guess what? There's my peace, there's my joy, and it is overflowing regardless because it's Jesus. Pray you see ourselves in the characters of Christmas, but more than anything else, may we behold the love of God that's been lavished upon us. 
we should be called children of God. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for a Savior. We thank you for the one who came and did what none of us could do, is live that life of sinlessness and holiness and perfection. Lord, just to think, though, that the God of this universe would come surrounded smell of manure, animals. He humbled himself. And we know that he came not just to a manger, but he came to a manger because we know the whole purpose. He was coming for a cross. So Lord, as we walk through this Christmas season, as we see Christ in the name, may we not forget that trough that led to a cross that led to an empty tomb that allows us today to rejoice and glorify and praise the name of our deliverer, the name of our Lord, the name of the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ, we proclaim in this place. And we pray in his name and all God's people say, amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday morning.